The Creep Show Chronicles contains graphic and disturbing content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the episode 93 of the Creep Show Chronicles. I know, and I was looking because our, um, well, whenever you're listening to this, our first season ends in just like seven weeks or so, like a little over, like a month and a half. Our first season ends, but we'll get to that in a couple weeks, so. Mm. What are we talking about today? Well, we're going to be talking about the Loveland Frogman. Literally, it's literally short. Yeah. Apparently, it was a hoax. But I'm going to tell it anyway. So, it starts in Ohio, or it's in Ohio folklore. The Loveland Frog, also known as the Loveland Frogman or Loveland Lizard, however you want to put it, you know. Yeah. It's a legendary humanoid frog described as standing roughly four feet tall, allegedly spotted in Loveland, Ohio. Yeah. In 1972, the Loveland frog legend gained renewed attention when a Loveland police officer reported to a colleague that he had seen an animal consistent with descriptions of the frogman. After a, a purported sighting in 2016, the second officer called a news station to report that he had shot and killed the same creature some weeks after. After the 1972 incident, and had identified it as a large iguana that was missing its tail, which is believable because some yeah. iguanas are humongous. God, like, yeah, I remember like in sixth grade in my science class, uh-huh. my teacher had this huge ass iguana, uh-huh. and this one kid decided, he's, you know, he took it to have crawled all over him. Yeah. Well, he's got claws and shit, and it yeah. hurts, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, oh. yeah, and he was, like, a good... In May 20, 2014, the Loveland Frog Legend was made into a musical <laughs> titled Hot Diggity Dog, It's the Loveland Frog. Wow. <laughs> really? That's the kind of... Uh... Well, in 2014. That's the kind of off, 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 off Broadway that I, I can get Yeah. <laughs> I would just have to see it just to, for shits and giggles. I'm like, Preston, get the rights. We're going right. to Get the rights, man. On March 3rd, 1972, at 1 a.m., Loveland police officer Ray Shockey was driving on Riverside Drive near the Totes Boot Factory in the Little Miami River when an unidentified animal scurried across the road in front of his vehicle. The animal was fully illuminated in his vehicle's he- vehicle headlights, and he described it as a three to four feet long and about 50 to 75 pounds with leathery skin. He reported spotting the animal crouched like a frog before it momentarily stood erect to climb over the guardrail and back down towards the river. Hmm. Two weeks after the incident, a second Loveland police officer, Mark Matthews, reported seeing an unidentified animal crouched along the road in the same vicinity as Shockey's sighting. Hmm. Matthews shot the animal, recovered the body, and put it in his trunk to show Officer Shockey. 
According to Matthews, it was a large iguana about three or three and a half feet long. And he didn't immediately recognize it because it was missing its tail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It happens. Mm -hmm. Matthews speculated the iguana had been someone's pet that either got loose or was released when it grew too large. Probably. Yeah. Now, since that story was so short and false, <laughs> I thought I'd add another somewhat short story. Somewhat. <laughs> The Demon of Brownsville Road is a book by Bob Kramer yeah. and Erica Manfred, published in August 2014. In March 1792, a mother and her three young children were killed by a marauding Native Americans in the vicinity of Fort Pitt during the Northwest Indian War. This was done as an act of terror to discourage continued pioneer settlement in western Pennsylvania and Ohio. Hmm. By the way, Ashley hasn't read this. I added this. Yeah, so. The story was so short. So she's, yeah, she's finding so, out just as much as you so are. So yeah, I'm like, right along with you. <laughs> So we're just going to get my reactions along with it as well. Yeah. The killing of women and children was not a common practice by the natives as they were always taken as prisoners to live with the tribe or ransomed as hostages. The book maintains that this massacre occurred on the ground where the house is built and that the four individu individuals are buried in the front yard. The premise for the demonic investigation is that the evil spirit that precipitated the vicious killing of these incidents remained on the grounds and eventually inhabited the house that would be built there. Immigrant laborer would also put a curse on the house while it was under construction out of jealousy for its wealthy owner and his beautiful wife. The book additionally states that a local doctor would later perform many illegal abortions in the house when its owners were in need of money to maintain their servants and upper-class lifestyle. Nice. <laughs> There are no records or first-hand accounts of this illegal activity, but an investigative newspaper article did identify that such a doctor did exist and that local lore supported the claim that he performed many abortions. Mm -hmm. It is presented that the demonic spirit was primarily focused upon hurting and killing children. Mm -hmm. In December 1988, Bob and Lisa Kramer and their four children moved into the house. This began the long string of events that eventually led to a demonic entity being expelled for their home, from their home in 2006 by priests of the Catholic Church. The house at 3406 Brownsville Road was built in 1909 to 1910-1910 and they had three previous owners prior to the Kramers. In December 1988, Bob and Le Lisa Kramer bought the house upon being transferred to Pittsburgh by, its by his employer. Bob states that, ha that uh, the house was his dream to own and that it mysteriously went up for sale the same week that they began looking for a house to buy. As a young child, he would often stand and stare at the house, hoping that someday he could see the inside. The three-story house was built in the craftsman style and would later be designated as a historical landmark by Pittsburgh History and Landmarks because of its unique design. Bob and Lisa married in 1980, while Bob 
was an officer to the U.S. Army. He left the service in 1986 and went to work for AT&T in Whippany, New Jersey. Their objective was to eventually relocate to Pittsburgh, where Bob had grown up. This was unexpectedly realized quicker than they had expected as they had just built a new house in 1987. <laughs> they had four children, Jessica four, Bobby three, David two, and Charles two months when they moved to Pittsburgh. All under five, that's crazy. Yeah. Bob Kramer states that the sellers seemed very anxious to move out and surprisingly accepted his first lowball offer without any negotiations. <laughs> of course. Red flag. You're right there. Right there. I don't care. If I'm moving or renting anywhere else, I'm asking some questions. Oh, yeah. Okay, I need the history. How long has it been here? Mm-hmm. Like, if there's a graveyard somewhere, I don't, I don't know. I don't right? Know. No. That's a big fucking red flag right there, too. No, thank you. During a walkthrough of the house, young Bobby Jr. wandered off by himself as the group went to the basement. He would soon be found on the front stair cr- staircase crying and hyperventilating as if he'd seen a ghost. Lisa later expressed to Bob her misgivings about the house that it was much too large and furthermore gave her the creeps. Bob discounted this and was determined to make this house a home for his young family. He did, however, ask the seller if there was anything wrong with the house. Understanding exactly what he was referring to, the seller assured him that the house was fine and that Catholic mass was conducted several times in the living room of the house. Bob thought this was an odd response. Uh-huh. But took it with the reassurance that had been implied. Mm -hmm. The next spring, Bob discovered a small metal box buried in the front yard containing Catholic religious items. He called the previous owner who had assured him that the house was fine, only then to hear him say, just put it back where you found it. Why? Come on! When somebody's going to ask you, fucking just say it. Uh-huh. Jesus. Yep. God, if I, because this is like late 80s, if my parents would have moved, I would have slapped some, but no. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, too. I'm just going to be s- sitting here on the floor just screaming. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's all I can do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, thank you. Uh-huh. God. Within weeks of moving in, Bob and Lisa began to experience paranormal activity in the house. The first phenomenon they experienced was a pull chain on a light in a coat closet that continuously wrapped itself around the light and would never remain in the hanging position. Soon other nuisance activities would begin and continue for years, the family choosing to ignore them, accepting that they shared their home with a spirit. Bob would go on to hold political office in the 1990s, first as a councilman and then county commissioner, gaining significant notoriety and celebrity in the western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh area. Over the years, the Kramer family became increasingly dysfunctional, and eventually Lisa and two of the children would experience serious mental issues, which would require hospitalization. 
Bob had no idea that the spirit in the house had anything to do with the relational and psychological issues within his family, and he attempted to manage his way through it. However, one night in 2003, his oldest son attacked him, and Bob was arrested. The next morning, his elderly aunt, who was living with the family, was also found dead in her bed from natural causes. All charges associated with the incident would eventually be dropped, but the paranormal activity in the house increased like a dam had been broken. Within a month, Bob was at his wit's end and decided to contact the Catholic Church for help. The Kramers were not Catholics at the time. The mayor of Pittsburgh, Tom Murphy, who was a personal friend of Kramer, went to see the, the then-bishop of Pittsburgh, Donald would assign management of the case to Father Ron Lingwin, who would eventually be assisted by several other priests and one lay person, Connie Valenti. Mm-hmm. Thus would begin a battle to cleanse the house from a demonic spirit that would take two years. Paranormal researchers from Penn State University would eventually become associated with the situation It would later move on to celebrity with a hit television show called Paranormal State. And I actually watched that. Mm-hmm. The infestation of the house would come to an end in February 2006 and Kramer would begin to write the story from notes that he had kept the next year. The book was released in 2014 with great media acclaim and Kramer would be interviewed across the country. His reputation as a public official combined with the involvement of other notable individuals, i.e. Mayor Thomas J. Murphy Jr., Bishop Donald Laurel, and Father Ronald Lincoln added a foundation of credibility to the story while also attracting the attention of Pittsburgh media. Kramer had little to gain in his reputation to lose, yet he states that the story had to be told to verify that evil does exist in the world. Yeah, Paranormal State, I mean, it was a good show. Yeah, but you had to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, um, there was a lot of... A lot of those shows, you have to take a grain of salt. Paranormal State, in particular, though, it was was a lot of um, fakery that happened, but we did get chipped coffee out of it. I know, I watched (laughs) it all for chipped coffee, (laughs) because it's just the way his reactions. Jesus Christ, I just saw what you saw. I want to see, I want to see... So dramatic, I love it. I want to see chipped coffee and Beverly Leslie... Or no, not Beverly Leslie. That was his character. Leslie Jordan in a fucking show together. Yeah. Oh my god. I think they'd be a cute. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. Jesus. Well, Jesus. The manuscript was written by Kramer and eventually reduced in size and rearranged by the professional author and editor Erica Manfred. She was the third of three writers employed by Kramer as issues in conflicts kept arising which seemed intent on preventing the ugh, seemed intent on preventing the book from being published the book the difficulties were so intense that Kramer became convinced that evil itself was fighting to keep the story from being told mm-hmm. with the notoriety of the book in the metropolitan Pittsburgh area one of the two major newspapers the post gazette decided to do an investigative article about the story. Many of the individuals in the book were interviewed and some of the historical accounts were checked. 
The doctor cited was verified to have been a local resident, as was his nefarious abortionist's reputation. Obliviously, with no official records is existing for the decades-old illegal activities. Monsignor Ron Lingwin, spokesman for the Catholic, uh, Catholic Diocese of Pittsburgh, affirmed every aspect of the book along with the official involvement of the Catholic Church. However, the primary source of criticism came from several children or grandchildren of the two families who preceded the Kramers living in the house a period of 47 years, all previous owners being deceased. They all claimed to have no recollection of any paranormal activity in the house and said that the story was fabricated by Kramer for his own waning notoriety. Kramer retorted that the Joyce children of the prior owners were upset that the reputation of their deceased parents was possibly being besmirched by the book, even though a fictitious name was used to identify them. Coincidentally, the couple died of natural causes in the months just prior to the book's publication. Kramer stated that Mrs. Joyce made it clear to both him and his wife that she detested the Wagners, who had sold the house to them. He stated, People are always concerned that they can be held legally liable if they do not reveal to buyers problems of a spiritual nature with a house, which I discovered is not the case in Pennsylvania. Their reactions are obviously intended to cover up the deception used in selling the house both in 1979 and 1988. The house was not officially sold in 1941 by the original owners, but was purchased via a sheriff's sale. The house sat empty then for an extended period and became known as the haunted house by the local children who ventured into it. Kramers also states in the book that one daughter, Barbara Wagner, who grew up in the house, did reluctantly detail significant paranormal activity to him while he was writing the book. She died before publication. He also stated that the son of a man who had grown up in the neighborhood during the 1930s affirmed that the house was widely known to be haunted. Kramer has offered to pay for and take a lie detector test concerning any of the claims presented in his book as long as the three adult children of the previous owners join him. Subsequent to publication in July 2016, a granddaughter of the doctor presented in the book contacted Kramer to tell him that even though she was too young at the time to know of her grandfather's illegal practice, she could confirm that his personality and evil demeanor fit what her early memories could recall. The story didn't surprise her as she described him throwing shoes at her when she was a toddler. Mm. Kramer's response to the article, which was printed by the Post-Gazette three days later, is, is as follows, October 29, 2014, 12 a.m. Any author should relish an article about their book by a major news paper positive or negative however the recent pg coverage of my book was over the top former residents of Brentwood demon house dispute book october 26th the front page sunday article clearly sought to describe the story its basis in christian faith and its controversial topics i've dealt with the press enough to know that when an article is to have a slant <clears throat> any special report and skeptical inquirer the satanic skeptic investigates 
the demon of, Bra of Brownsville wrote, contributed J.D. Sword, a self-avowed member of the Church of Satan, questions other claims made by Kramer in his book. Sword begins by explaining how since a how since a demonic exorcism performed by the Catholic Diocese of Pittsburgh in 2006, the Brownsville house was converted into a bed and breakfast in 2019. Of course it was. <laughs> so any attempt to truly investigate the house would be difficult. If not just written off as Kramer claims it has been free and clear of issues since the exorcism. The B&B page states that Kramer is open discussing his book, but ghost hunters and paranormal investigators are not permitted as such activity could possibly reignite the paranormal issues. However, Sword did manage to do some digging into the history and methods used by Kramer in the book. For example, in the book, Kramer claims to have spoken to the daughter of the couple who owned the house from 1941 to 79, Barbara Paisley, stating Paisley and her family had encountered spiritual events in the house many times, even going so far as saying that her husband added that once a vis visiting dog in the house seemed to sense these spirits and went room to room in search of them. However, according to Paisley's daughter, Karen Dwyer, her mother, grandmother, her mother, grandmother, and grandfather had never mentioned any thing about the house being haunted nor was there even a dog as her parents did not like to have pets. Connie Valenti, a psychic claimed to have visions revealing the house was once used by a Dr. M, rumored to have performed illegal abortions in the 1920s and 1930s. Through searching records from the time, it was accepted that Dr. M's real name was Dr. James Merton Clay Mahan, a wealthy pediatrician who owned the Mahan Hospital in the Arlington neighborhood of Pittsburgh. Monsignor Ron Linguin, a senior Catholic priest of the diocese, and the psychic Valenti claimed while being built on a site of a violent 1792 Native American attack on a family, the four victims being buried in the front yard, also alleged Mahan field a demonic possession at 3406 Brownsville Road. However, when asked in an interview about evidence supporting Mahan was in fact responsible for the demon at Brownsville Road, Linguin, Valenti, and Kramer either claimed they did not need the supporting evidence because Mahan was not actually named in the book and could tell the story however they saw it, or in the case of Kramer, bluntly saying he is not going to discuss him. However, the grandson of Dr. James Mahan, Dean Mahan, claimed his grandfather could not have performed abortions at 3406 Brownsville Road in the 1920s and 1930s. He lived at 2400 Bird slow Street. Slow down, slow down, slow down. I'm sorry. Slow down. <laughs> you're like, you're like, Brownsville Road in the 1920s and 1930s. He lived at 2400 Bing Street. <laughs> like, honey, I slow down. <laughs> Furthermore, there is no record of Matt malpractice or illegal abortions even tied to Dr. Mahan because there is no official record of his being accused, arrested, tried, or convicted. Kramer claims in the book that Dr. M's nefarious practice was common knowledge in the community of Brentwood, where his house is located, and that was also the home of those who ran the notorious Southside Numbers racket. 
along with numerous nightclubs, bars, and brothels. Since telling the story, Kramer's life has been a share of tragedy. In March 2015, his son David died unexpectedly and his wife went into depression. I mean, that's usually how it goes. Yeah. They subsequently ended their marriage of 37 years in 2018. He is quoted as saying, During an interview, writing the book was like outing the mob. There's obviously going to be consequences. Mm -hmm. He continues to do interviews about the book and his experience. After over a decade of the house being cleared of evil, Bob opened it as a bed and breakfast in November 2019. Their Brownsville Roadhouse. Alright, so that was the Loveland Frogman and the Demon of Brownsville Road. If you'd like to follow us on social media, check us out on our link tree at the Creepshow Chronicles. You can also find us, uh, find all of our listening platforms there as well. And for future recommendations, you can email us at thecreepshow18 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to The Creep Show. I'm Sam. And I'm Ashley. Stay creepy. Thanks for listening to The Creep Show Chronicles. Follow us on social media and share our show so we can grow our audience.